Hey ho, let's go. Hello everyone and welcome back to A Pint With Pizza, an informative and somewhat comedy podcast where me and my friend Chris sit down with my dad and try to bridge the intergenerational gap. Now Chris, we've given you two tabs of acid as promised, how are you feeling so far? Still waiting for it to kick in. <laughs> Still waiting. <laughs> so, Dad, whilst we wait for the acids to kick in, are you finally going to talk about the Mothers Club? Or we'll... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I know. I've had quite a few people saying I've mentioned it a few times, but haven't actually ventured in. But uh, before we begin anything, I, I'm going to call this my uh, prelude, qualude. You guys don't know what don't know what qualudes are, no, do you? Okay. That's how I do. Well, I'm going. I mean, tonight it's going to be a, a 1970 onwards kind of vibe. I'm hoping to give give you my impressions of uh, the seven glorious years between Woodstock and the emergence of punk. Because I would say, if you know anything, or if you're passionate about pop rock music, arguably those seven years were the kind of high watermark of it but before we do that thank you very much indeed for um including uh, a snatch of in the summertime at the end of the last <laughs> i one. don't know if chris had clocked on to uh, it. I did, I to it this afternoon you um, did okay you, you took liberties sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you took your new yeah i'm, I'm going around I'm going if, if, if the estate come for me, I'll be the one in court. I, yeah. found, I found the lyrics questionable, though. Do you know, <laughs> you must be reading my mind. That's <laughs> a, no, 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 don't, don't go there. I've actually got the lyrics printed here. I, I'm just wondering, are we going to have to draw a veil over? I, I, maybe, maybe I need re-educating. I'll take you back to 1970. Uh, I've spoken to you before about how... The charts, you know, the pop music that was around at the time, it wasn't all wall-to-wall stuff that would interest the uh, the hippie crowd I was part of. I mean, the first hit uh, in my recollection of 1970 was by somebody called Rolf Harris. Oh, you know him. You do know Rolf do Harris. Know. Do you remember him as uh, probably hosting a vet programme? Yes, Animal Hospital. That's, that's right, uh, yeah, that's right. Well, Rolf Harris, uh, he, had, he amazingly had a number one in 1970. It was called, get this, Two Little Boys. Um, I was going to say, say Jacob Hegg or Two Little Boys. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what he went down for, of yeah, course? Yeah, it was yeah, basically, yeah. I'm not going to go there, but sexually related. I like that. Related. was the first case for me where a childhood presenter went down for nefarious things. Yeah. He was actually in Stafford Nick as well. There were some quite high celebrity people in Stafford Nick. But uh, later on that year, just to give you an idea of how naff it was, another number one was by the England World Cup squad, 1970. That became a a number one. Um, But Chris, you're quite right. And uh, I don't know what you think about this as the producer. Um, I thought we could have a whole podcast in the future just on dodgy lyrics. I mean, for children from the 90s as well, the lyrics in some of our songs were questionable. 
Yeah, the, fam- the famous ones being the Venga Boys. Oh, really? Well, boom, 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 I want you in my room. We'll spend the night together, together in my room. I mean, we can play Criminal Bingo here. I- I'm going to play back to you here the uh, ly- actual lyrics of In the Summertime. Are you ready? I want you to put a thumbs up when you hear, or a thumbs down, <laughs> actually, when you hear anything that might be vaguely criminal. Right, this is the lyric. Here we go. Your starter for ten. When the weather's right, you got women, you got women on your mind. Have a drink, have a drive. Well, that's kind yeah. of... Yeah, go out and see what you can find. If her daddy's rich, take her out for a meal. If her daddy's poor, just do what you feel. This is the one I felt, that's what I felt. Speed along the lane. Do a turn or return to 25. Now, what the hell that is about, I don't know. When the sun goes down, you can make it, make it good in a labour. Wow. I mean, I'm old enough to remember a really famous goalkeeper called Peter Shilton. Yeah, Peter Shilton's credibility went overnight when he, he was discovered by the traffic cops. Some woman was giving him a blowjob in a lay-by. So, a lay-by. Now... Okay, let's have a little checklist. Number one, drink driving. Number two, curb crawling. Followed by speeding down country lanes, possibly drunk. Number four, class distinction. Being classist, isn't it? Number five, which is linked, exploitation of women. And finally, drunken sex in a public lay-by. Yeah, so you've got sexism... Classism. I mean, how unwoke is that? Very, and it's all to like a jaunty tune. And you, and you could probably, particularly, that really was a big hit of the summer. That kind of record really encapsulated. It was a hot summer in '70 because I was looking earlier at some of the pictures of the festivals I went to in in '70, and um, nobody seemed to have tents or even sleeping bags. It was a, a beautiful summer. I think I think it was described as an Indian summer. Hmm. You know where the heat yeah. actually extended beyond the num- you know the normal normal summer month. I mean, I could go on. It's like a true confession time. This. I mean, one of my favourite bands. Because what what I'm going to focus on tonight is how the gigs began, where they took place, and who was actually playing, and what what kind of happened at the clubs I, I went to. But uh, one of my favourite bands. Dare I say it? This is a little bit later. This would probably be 76, 77, where the Stranglers. Do you know the Stranglers? I think I do, actually, for one. Peaches. Uh, no. late, later on, they had Golden Brown, which was a kind um, of yeah. musical, you yeah, know, no musical hit. But um, this is the Stranglers lyric. I mean, you might want to cut this part. The song is called Bring On The New Biles. First line. I want to love you like your dad. I'll kiss your zones erogenous. There's plenty to explore. I've got to lick your little puss and nail you to the floor. <laughs> Chorus, let me fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah? I mean, that, that is remarkable, isn't it? And the, the big hits uh, where they came to recognition was called Peaches, which is about basically about guys on a beach ogling, ogling women going by. I mean, the big thing I'm going to try and do tonight in this, uh, in this time is I'm going to give you an insight, because I think culturally it is interesting about the predominance of drugs during you know the late sixties, early seventies, I mean, quite phenomenal, and I think it, I think it began a tsunami that you're feeling the ill effects of now. So my my kind of subtitle for tonight, I've called it a call to harms. You with me? Call to <laughs> arms. Call to harms. Okay. So 
I, I call it uh, a peon. I mean, you, you guys are both Catholic. Do you know what a peon is? No. P-A-E-A-N, a peon. It's a chant of thanksgiving for deliverance to dangerous past times. Hey ho, let's go, let's rummage. I've been reading also a brilliant book by John Cooper Clark, which is my book plug tonight. And I think he actually wrote it all himself. You know how he spoke, still does, in, you know, he delivers his stuff in a kind of machine gun yeah, style, yeah. doesn't it? Lots of fucking and so on in it. So hey ho, let's go. Let's rummage, let's rumble, let's ramble through the reveries of almost half a century. Consuming pop culture is seen through the bleary granny specs of a music-loving Midlander. Yeah, a few TV references tonight. Do you guys remember stars in their eyes? Oh, vaguely. Happier vaguely. It's classic TV. You do remember it. Well, tonight I'm going to talk to you about acid and and dope and and pills. I better have a disclaimer, hadn't I? Because I, yeah, I know Julie gets a bit upset by all this, but it wasn't me. It was older boys. <laughs> older boys bullied me into occasionally. I mean, it's a, it's a Frank still a thing. We can link to them. Yeah. A what? Frank. Do you remember Frank? I feel like when we were in high school, that was the game yeah, too. Like Frank. Yeah, tell yeah, Frank. He's still there drugs. now. About drugs and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Tell Frank. Yeah. Speak to Frank. Mm-hmm. So after listening to this tonight, Russell, yeah, you have to go link, on and say, Frank. Dear Frank, I am very <laughs> worried. My father, who's getting a bit geriatric, I think his brain has been damaged by... Uh, this is Peter's mind on day. ...bad influences. So I'm, I'm going to do, you know, stars in my eyes. So tonight, Barry, I'm going to focus on those seven glorious shares. So what are the seven glorious shares, lads? Come on. The seven glorious shares are between... Oh. 1777. No, yeah, but Woodstock. Woodstock. Um. Yeah, I'm not going to focus on festivals tonight, but the, the idea of festivals in this country, uh, and sadly it is all about, when you read into it, you know, the, the movers and shakers, it is, despite the hippie dream, it is all about money, 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 money. Um, I was reading some stuff the other day that um, Woodstock and Monterey, Monterey came before, they were both actually quite money driven. And then, of course, if you speak to anyone or, is, uh, or you watch documentaries about this era and the hippie revolution or non-revolution, you talk about Woodstock, you talk about Monterey, and then you move on to Altamont. It was a fantastic documentary the other night. Altamont was a free concert. I spoke to you earlier about the concept of the free concert. And Altamont, classically, is where the Stones were playing. The place was completely out of control. And eventually, right in front of them, a guy was was basically knifed and shot and and basically beaten to death in front of them. And that, that, classically, is the so-called end of the hippie dream. Because then, of course, you had Charlie Manson, blah, blah, blah. That is what my friend Andy in the States would call boilerplate. Do you know what boilerplate is? It's basically talking about stuff that's a bit of a cliche and a bit of a kind of accepted piece of wisdom. I'm I'm not sure the the kind of collapse of the hippie dream can be described quite that simplistically. But the idea of the big festivals, because you're talking, you know, 500, 600 
thousand people at these events. But when they came to England, I think I'm right in saying the first Glastonbury Festival was in 1970. That would have been quite a small affair. And then the festival, I'm, I'm not going to talk about tonight because I'd like to have a complete podcast on it. I, I went to the Isle of Wight, I also went to Wheelie, I went to Hollywood, etc., etc. But that's, that's, that basically was the starting point, Woodstock. And later you had the emergence of punk. The thing about punk and me, although there were guys in bands who secretly were probably older than me at the time, a, I was getting a little bit uh, long in the tooth. B, I had to kind of, uh, quite sensibly, defenestrate, chuck out a lot of the bad habits I'd, I'd had in my teens, if you want. And, and C, I was trying to hold down a regular job. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, what I'm describing to you guys is, is what somebody, I'm sure, of a certain hue could be describing if they were talking about the 80s the 90s or the 2000s it's almost like a rite of passage for some possibly stupid people like myself does that make sense yeah so what what i'm going to talk about is is the music the gigs uh and i'm going to try and give you a vibe of what the zeitgeist the spirit of the times like or, or as you would have said in those days I want to let you into the vibe, man. Did you ever hear anybody say the vibe? Because a lot of his hippie language has come back. I hear the vibe, but... I feel like it's just people taking piss of the 70s. You know, like in the show sitcoms we'd watch, the kind of hippie character. Yeah. Oh, we use it in work for... Do you really? Yeah, for like, do, do tone of it, like for t- the scribe tonal things, like for the tone of videos, so the vibe of the video. Uh, so that's uh, that's kind of a bit of a transformation of language, isn't it? Yeah. So vibe has come to mean something yeah. more or less the same. But that's really interesting. Um, I mean, the other thing, what I'm going to try and do also is I'm going to try and give you an account because any account of this period would would be incomplete if you didn't reference drugs and the drug culture because I, I think by any reckoning it was central to the development of the British music business. It's, uh, I'm building up my collection of, of uh, books on this era at the moment. So I've, I've got an amazing book that's written by the guy who was manager of the Yardbirds and the Who and so on. And even after all this time, you realise just how corrupt the music business is and always has been. Surprisingly, and I was saying to yeah, you, I feel like it comes no surprise. Does it come as no surprise yeah. at all? I, I mean, I mean, if Andy eventually listens to this, I mean, if you if you spoke to him, I think he'd tell you it's one of the reasons he wanted out. I mean, even because um, of course I follow more of the art world, even artists that have worked, you know, for bands need to do album covers. They said it's the worst experience of their lives. Working with bands? Yeah, because it's just either like you won't get paid, you're fighting for pay, you're underpaid. Is that right? Yeah. You know, like, you know, they might expect you to work, you know, create a full album cover and then they might say, no, we don't like it, you don't get paid. So it's almost fitted as standard. Yeah. That you rip off, it's a kind of rip off culture. Yeah, I mean, I won't talk about it much tonight, but um, if you listen to accounts of some of the managers and producers, 
of these big bands at the time. I mean, Jesus, I mean, they were really criminal. The other feature that I didn't fully realise, a lot of the managers and, and producers and movers and shifters at the time, not playing in a band, were gay. There's a massive, massive undercurrent of gay influence from these people, many of whom would have been publicly, you know, public school educated, etc. And um, one theory is that undercurrent of, of gayness actually culminated in what's known now as glam rock. Yeah, T-Rex, yeah, yeah. um, who I can talk about in a minute, T-Rex, The Sweet, uh, Mott the Hoople, David Bowie, obviously. Dare I say, Gary Glitter. Well, I mean, I'm not sure if Gary Glitter... But um, if, you go back, if you go back to the 60s, don't forget, you know, pop music was really new. So if, if you were a band wanting to start out, I've got a lovely account over there, Black Sabbath, when they first started off. You're talking, you know, four guys in, in, a, in a battered, I think they'd be called comma vans back there. It was pre-transit days, you know, the transit. You know, it'd be, be three, four guys usually in, in, in a transit van. They'd load up their own kit, you know, they, they'd, they'd put the amps and everything in. There's a couple of really sweet accounts I've read where, where the guys in the band would set off and their mum would give them a pack of sandwiches <laughs> for the journey. And of course, what was really prevalent around that time, because of the very tight schedule these bands had to follow, you know, you could be, if you read the accounts, there's probably a few BBC Four documentaries about it, you'd be gigging up and down the country. If you were lucky, you'd be playing nearly every night. And, and that, that's, that's how it started. I mean, bands, because of you know, the, the limitations placed upon them, because you obviously had to rehearse, I think, I think the, you know, the original bands you know, that would have made it into the charts, they would have had to have worked locally at first. You know, they would, probably would have been within a 50, 60 mile radius. Because what I remember, I never went to any, funnily enough, what you had around that time, you had a really weird collection of acts. You know, you'd have Hendrix playing with a, a, a soul band and another up-and-coming pop group like the Dave Clark Five, and they would play in cinemas. And they'd, they'd have, um, you know, an afternoon matinee and then an evening show, and they'd probably finish at, you know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, that sort of thing. But the first gigs I went to could have been in working men's clubs, I've seen gigs in, in youth clubs. Uh, talking about you know people I've actually seen, I remember going to, I think it was Wensbury, somewhere like that, in West Midlands, to see Slade. And back in the day, they, they were called Ambrose Slade. Played in this youth club. And back then, they uh, had like a skinhead image. Yeah. Okay. You know, they wore baggy jeans yeah. and, uh, and so on and so forth. And they, they were persuaded... A little later by their manager to get into the glam scene which is where they really really took mm. off but when I saw them I remember I remember it quite distinctly they were quite punky in a way you know quite brash uh, and heavy I think the hit of the time was called come on feel the noise is that, that yeah, ring, song. Yeah. ring any bells and uh, later on I wish I would have gone. I, I didn't go. My, my friend Peter, I told you about, he said, do you want to come over to Bauka Vale? Do you know where Bauka Vale is? 
Vaguely. Yeah, and there were an up-and-coming yeah. band who, who I guess one of them must have come from there, maybe Ian Curtis. The band who played in you know, Bowker Vale Youth mm. Club were Joy Division, oh. obviously. It's amazing, isn't yeah. it? So if you were a band around those time, you, you kind of um, found gigs where you could as a, what, I guess a 16, 17-year-old, because like a lot of you know kids around that time, the big thing was trying to get into a pub underage. Are you with me? Yeah. But there was no, uh, there's no ID. You know, there were no ID cards or anything. So I, I'm, I'm pretty tall, you see. And, um, you know, you, you could get in pubs. And I remember distinctly having my first pint and thinking it was horrible. Do you remember your first pint? I can kind of remember my first yeah. beers, and they were, it wasn't nice. Horrible. Yeah. I, I find it interesting as I bring arse into it again. I'm just going to see artists. I've got an art book where you know, artists created fake beer labels and they, oh, were in, okay. and they were interviewed in it. One of the questions was, Do you remember your first new pint? Oh, okay. And every single one of them said, Yeah, and I hated it. Ditto Siggies. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you guys have ever smoked, have you? But uh, cigarettes, you know, I mean, you remember your first fag? Mm. I'm old enough to remember um, what was fashionable amongst guys if you wanted to be macho was smoking cigars for special occasions. Oh, well, I think that's, that's still what, a thing, actually. Well, that's really? What, well, that's wow. what me Ann and Ash like to do now, because we always meet up in Liverpool for Ant's birthday. We've made it a tradition. Well, you have a cigar? Yeah, we have a cigar. Bloody hell. And we've said now that on my stag do, we'll all get cigars. So wow. Chris will sit round with us and have cigars. Wow. I will admit, they're not too bad. Yeah, the, the other thing that was around, because you, you had these kind of... Uh, because I think a bit of product placement tonight is, is quite appropriate. You, you had what were called cigarillos. Uh, yeah, but yeah, a kind well, of hybrid between uh, cigarettes and cigars. Yeah. I mean, they, they were... But you know, you know from previous uh, podcasts, my fag of choice, I, I used to smoke Gitin or, uh, or Disque Bleu. So anybody who uh, remembers that era, they'll remember the smell of kind of quite distinctive flavor and just again just to give you a bit of a cultural historical background when you went to a football match when you went to an evening game there there were pools of ciggy and cigar smoke over the whole stadium <laughs> wow. it's funny because your sense of smell is a very powerful stimulus and uh you, you could smell pipe smoke yeah i mean how, how much does that take you back pipe smoke and also ciggy smoke and cigar smoke it, it was a really big thing because my first gigs uh, i mean you even had gigs in bandstands yeah occasionally okay. if you're if you're an up and coming in fact it, it was quite it's quite poignant for me i recently went back to my hometown and there's a beautiful victorian bandstand because i think a lot of them have been removed and they actually had a kind of succession of people playing there at the weekends. I mean, unfortunately, it was pissing down, but uh, I felt really nostalgic because this guy was playing his guitar. No, it was a lady, actually, wasn't it, Joe? lady was playing a guitar and singing, and it was beautiful. It was wafting out across the park, and it really took me back. And the other uh, place where gigs would take place, because working men's clubs were obviously pubs as well, yeah. was actually pubs. And, uh, you know, we would travel. Uh, we had a, a mini traveller, which was uh, like, a, like a basic mini. 
And if you're into cars, the other car I remember around that time, you know, a cheap kind of runaround was the Austin A40, or you could have had a Morris Minor or something <laughs> like that. So we, we'd go, uh, I, I couldn't drive until I was in my 20s, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I remember travelling in the, in the Austins and the, uh, and the Morris, because back, back then, particularly coming from the Midlands, you, you incredibly had a British car industry. I would say, I don't know, maybe nine out of ten cars on the road were British, which is quite astonishing, yeah. but they were really crap, really crap cars. If you read accounts of the time, it, it'll, it'll be stuff like, you know, the door fell off, <laughs> or that's how bad they were, and they were all horrible colours, because most people's memory of the 70s is, is it's like a beige, putty-like, yellow era. You know, the furniture design yeah. and everything seemed to be brown. And I think a lot of it was the ciggy smoke actually tainting everything. I mean, it's remarkable. I don't know if you, you probably, maybe when you were very young, you might remember maybe your granny smokes or whatever. If you took a picture down or something off the wall from a heavy smoker, you could actually see the shape of the picture frame, couldn't you? Do, do you recall? Yeah, any? well, my granddad used to smoke a pipe that my grandma my grandma maybe didn't give it up, but she she knew he'd carried on because above his chair in the living room there was a, a smoke patch, and he used to swear blind it wasn't him. Wow. <laughs> He's like, no, I've given it up. The but ghost. She, she, the... She, but she knew. Cause there was a patch I mean, I mean, even now, my mate moved into the flat he's in now, and they asked him to strip the whole walls because they were just stained. There's a couple in it before them were just heavy smokers. Really? Yeah, like the, the acid to literally redecorate the. I mean, whole I mean, can you imagine what it does to your body if if it does <laughs> that to the world? Like the smoke's doing it. To I mean, yeah. you just have to look on the front of the packet now. Yeah, that's true. Because your your granddad, uh, you know, your mum's father, who who you know you you never knew really. I mean, he was a publican and um, he had really bad bronchial trouble, and I think a lot of it was down to inhaling. Uh, what's it called? Passive, passive smoking. You know, if you worked in a pub, I, I reckon if you were behind the bar, you, you could you could have have the equivalent of ten, fifteen ciggies without smoking. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's uh, makes you think what our childhood was like before the smoking. Yeah. So you so you're back in a, you know as we've got into this vibe, you're back in an era of wood chip. Do you know what wood chip is? Yes. Mm. Uh, I mean, my my my, my big recollection is wood chip. Uh, Houses, this one probably had one, had a serving hat. You know, if you watch yeah. The Good Life, for example, yeah. I mean, The Good Life is that epitome of the kind of middle class idea of what a kind of vaguely, um, you know, green lifestyle would be like. Do you know the programme? Yeah. yeah. The Good Life. And, and, on a Sunday night. Wow. Wow. And, and weirdly, it's, this has come back. I remember, A, there were loads of posters. Everybody had posters which it seemed to have died a death. You actually had poster shops. I'm trying to remember the main seller of the posters. I, I so, remember poster shops. I just always think of Affleck. Yeah, They've still got really? poster shops wow. in there. Wow. And the other thing, you know, that's had a resurgence is plants. Yes. Oh, God, plants. Yeah, in yeah. the 70s, you had... Uh, I remember yucca plants. Yucca plants and spider plants and, and things like that. And, of course... Just a little, just little uh, nod to the technology at the time. Maybe your grandparents had one. You, you had, for the time, if you had the money, I think you could buy some quite 
sophisticated uh, equipment to play your music on, actually. Oh, my granddad would have had that, yes. Like Goodman, the name yes. Goodman, and Bosey. Yes, uh, he was all into his... Really? Yeah, he had always had like the best hi-fis and things. And you, and you had... Um, Maybe, I think we had one when you were a, a baby, Russell. You had what were called music centres. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, So what's your recollection of music centres? Because the one, the one I had was, um, stood about this tall, you know, about waist height. And uh, it was mid-price range, I think. I mean, you had, um, obviously, a turntable on the top. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, you had a tape recorder. Uh, you maybe had a CD player yeah. and you had a radio yeah. and you had the whole bag. And the speakers but, as well. And the speakers. Well, laying the cables around yeah. the room. But I'm thinking somebody like your granddad, who was probably a high, you know, a real enthusiast, I, I reckon he would have had separate units. They were separate units, yeah. Wow. I think you, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you're, you're talking megabucks. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're, you're talking probably a month's wage to buy, you know, the amp, because you would have had a separate amp yeah. and so. Why? Wow. My main recollection is not to touch, because the settings are set. Wow, you weren't allowed to touch it. Yeah, because the settings were just so... <laughs> wow, the, the guy next door is like that. I mean, the guy next door is eighty odd years old. He's really into country music, and um, he's got a really elaborate system. And uh, I went over at Christmas, and he was playing some of his. Um, I think it was Hank Williams, or what's he? What's he called? Can you think of any really famous folk country and western artists? I was, I was going to say Garth Crooks, but Garth Crooks was a, a centre forward for yes. Stoke City. This is Garth Brooks. So he had his, he had his Garth Brooks uh, music on. He had a kind of stuff. My dog died today, and he and, uh, and had to sit and listen to it religiously. And he, and, he had, and his son was there, and he was saying, oh, you can hear this and that in the background. You know, you, they were really into that high fidelity sound. And the big one in the 70s and again you needed a load of money was quadraphonics yeah right. where you didn't have two speakers you had four speakers yes. and really you know you had to be quite well off you would have had a speaker in each corner of the room and you had to kind of position yourself in a particular place to get the <laughs> quality yeah, he had four speakers as well. He with me? I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that... in each corner of the room. I mean, we've even got friends that are quite into sound yeah. things. And I think if you're passionate about it, you're really passionate about it. Well, that's why vinyl has made a comeback. Because talking about this era, you know, for, for your kind of anoraks, your nerds, you had mono. Some of the very early records, I've got a few in the attic, were on mono. Uh, and then a little later, you had them on stereo. You know, stereo is yeah, obvious, yeah. isn't it? You, yeah. had a, you had a left and a right speaker, and it, sh it shows how bloody pathetic it was. You know, you'd sit there listening, something like, say, Pink Floyd, and you could hear different sounds coming out of different speakers. I love that, though. Do you? Yeah, because wow. I've got my Apple AirPods now with an Apple TV, uh -huh. and I can connect them to the Apple TV, so... So I'm watching TV with them in, and when I'm watching, like especially Apple TV made programs, the sound 
going between the two just in stereo is really good because you it's like a different TV watching experience because you can hear the sound so clearly. Wow, you've obviously got your grandfather's genes here, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, because you know, as we're talking or trying to get some kind of intergenerational bonding here, that kind of um, passion for sound it obviously goes back 50 years, doesn't it? It's and like I've got, a vinyl, I've got a vinyl player in my room that has like stereo speakers and the amp as well. Well, everyone, we're going to leave it there for now with my dad still not chatting about the Mother's Club. But believe me when I say it is coming. We did discuss it in this recording session. And to any younger listeners out there, it is not what you expect. One topic we did touch upon in this episode was the life of an up and coming band, you know, discussing how they would tour, where they would play. And um, as my dad was telling us this, it really got me thinking about how I would love to chat and compare this with a modern day musician. You know, is it a stupid question? Like, yes, of course, we still jump in a van with my mum's sandwiches and go to the local pub. But, you know, with the rise of YouTube, has it changed? You know, are you a band that found more fame just performing on there than actually performing live? So if you are an up and coming musician, you know, drop us a line. You can reach us on Twitter using the handle A Pint With Peter. Or if you're not on Twitter, which to be honest is a musician, you should be. But you can always use our email a pint with Peter at gmail.com. We would even love to maybe get a musician on the podcast to, you know, get this modern perspective because, you know, me and Chris aren't in it. And I'm not going to forget again this time. If you haven't already, please go on to Apple Podcast and leave us a review. The simple act just helps get the podcast noticed. Now, I'm not going to end on any music tonight because I feel like the music we discussed will give us that explicit tag and we want to be inclusive to all ages. So everyone, thanks for listening and on to the next one.